Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So yeah, I was cooking a few things from the book. And some of them it was very strange, very alien. So I was like, yes, yes, that sounds completely bonkers. Let's do this. That's part of the charm, I think, is that um, it's almost an archaeological excavation of a recipe. It's kind of trying to find out what um, what some of the meanings. I guess we'll talk about that in a bit because with Episeus, there's kind of so much of it is left to the chef or the cook. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the first thing that struck me as uh, interesting that you know it's <laughs> you have a lot of freedom to maneuver around um, quantities and the ingredients hello i'm tom dinas and this is a delicious legacy podcast hope you're all safe and well welcome to our latest episode of archaeogastronomical adventures on this episode, I am honoured to have Andrew Kenrick from University of East Anglia with me, who studied extensively about the Roman cuisine 2,000 years ago. Specifically, he investigated a lot and he is very passionate about the famous, and some will say infamous, Gourmand Apicius. The only complete surviving cookbook we have from antiquity bears his name. Who was he? What did he do? to change the course of food and gastronomy in the ancient world, and also today. Andrew's knowledge on the subject is quite vast, and some of the historical facts are very, very fascinating. Together today, we'll delve into the time of the early Roman Empire, a universe of exotic delicacies, extravagant luxuries, extreme ingredients, and impossible journeys to unearth the tastiest food of the ancient world. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So, yeah, welcome to the Delicious Legacy podcast. Thank you. Pleased to uh, be here. Thanks for joining uh, me on this little um, archaeogastronomical adventure, as I like to call them. <laughs> I don't know if that's a term. But <laughs> well, it is now. <laughs> But I like I like it. Um, yeah. So, how did you how did you involved with uh, Apicius? Oh, it's one of these happy coincidences, really, that seems to have shaped my um, kind of scholarship. Uh, so I was I studied originally studied archaeology and ancient history way back in two, 1999, two thousand, and then mm. changed careers after that. I didn't become an archaeologist. I became an editor, and. By a very roundabout route, I ended up back, back at um, university in 2016, 
at University of East Anglia doing an MA in uh, creative nonfiction and biography uh, with no intention of uh, using ancient history or drawing on my archaeological interests. That was always just a hobby, kind of a passing interest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that same year, I took a trip to Rome and visited an old colleague, a friend, and she took me out for dinner, and it was the most amazing meal. It was modern Roman cuisine, but it used... It was one of these quirky family restaurants where there was no menu. The, the waiter came and sat at your table and explained what there was. And it was all sorts of things like horse meat and um, mm. uh, glands and bulls balls. And yeah. All sorts of things like this. It was very... Uh, uh, I'm quite an adventurous eater, but it definitely pushed me to the limit. And... I started writing about this uh, for one of my projects. I, I wrote a, an account of this, and it's so, uh, two things clicked really, which was, well, what would, you know, how would this modern Roman cuisine, did it bear any relation to ancient Roman cuisine? And it started me uh, kind of researching, well, what was ancient Roman cuisine? And you can't really go very far along that line of research without coming across Apicius, who yeah. is this, uh, I guess, I always describe him as a Roman celebrity chef. Yeah, yeah, and he became the focus of my attention. So, I was fascinated to discover he still had a the, the a cookbook bearing his name is still in print, and we still have records of his of recipes attributed to him. And it became the sole project um, for my uh, masters. So I ended up writing my dissertation on on Apicius, uh, not so much necessarily on Roman cuisine, but on the life of Apicius and how much we can deduce about him from his cookbook. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, one thing led to another, and that's that ended up being my my project. Yeah, and, and uh, in, over the course of it, of course, I ended up cooking um, his 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 me- his recipes just as a way of trying to get inside. Yeah, inside uh, his mind. How long did it took you to finish that uh, project? That was just for a year. That was yeah, and it ended up it, it was quite self contained. It ended up being quite a short, self contained piece of writing, kind of focusing on what we know about the end of Apicius's life. Which is he lived quite a. He was a. a I mean, I suppose I should. I, I guess we'll maybe talk about this in more detail. But I should caveat this. But there's a, a, most of what we know about Apicius is speculation and gossip, and uh-huh. there's questions about whether he was a real character at all. Really. <laughs> so one one of the things that uh, one of the famous things attributed to him is the that he was a very rich aristocrat, possibly. Mm-hmm. in the first century, start of the first century AD. And he famously uh, spent all his fortune on exotic ingredients and throwing fantastic banquets and experimenting with uh, gastronomy. And when he got down to his last 10 or 12 million sesterci, which is about eight or nine million dollars in yeah. today's money, uh, he declared that he could not live so frugally and killed himself. So that's kind of, <laughs> so I took, kind of took, that was the focus, the the kind of rise and fall of Apicius. Yeah. And I, try, I tried to write a, something that might resemble a biography, kind of mm. based on what we know. A lot of it ended up being quite speculative because yeah. we don't know a huge amount. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, um, it's so much stuff to learn and um, find out about the Roman Empire at that time. Absolutely, um, but he's a subject very close to my heart. I, I do, I do hope to go back to him as a great. as a subject. I think I, I, just because I could spend all day writing about Roman food and talking about Roman food, 
especially yeah. a, especially a pissy environment food, not necessarily. Mm. I've read your stuff, and yeah, obviously it was really nicely written and um, very interesting. I mean, the detail, as you said, it might not be so real, or mm. might be a lot of um, elements there that they're myths. Uh, but I mean, it's so fascinating. Yeah, so many things that I didn't know. Basically, that he was friends with the emperors. The things that that, that struck me. Uh, firstly, was that you called him the worst of all gourmands. <laughs> I kind of um, laughed with that line. <laughs> Why the worst? Just because I think he took it to an extreme, really. He was, um, I think he, he was one of these extravagant characters who it definitely indulged that kind of horrific grotesquerie of overeating. Right. So it's, the, it's just some of the, you know, the things he would... Eat. So you think you find in his cookbook, and again, I must caveat the. I guess we'll talk talk about this as well. The yeah. the fact that the cookbook probably wasn't written by him. It was just either piggybacking on his fame because mm. his, his name became a byword for kind of grotesque uh, gourmandery. Yeah. Um, uh, but the stuff in there, like peacock um, tongues and yeah. fl- flamingo tongues, and uh, kind of a proto foie gras, you know, fig um, fig fattened pig livers, which were, uh, they were fattened by stuffing the pig, pig full of figs. Yeah, yeah. And all sorts of kind of omelettes involving all sorts of um, offal and various types of meat all shoved together. It's, yeah, it was all the extravagant weird ingredients thrown all together, basically. Uh, and yeah, okay, okay. I understand now why you call him the worst <laughs> of all gourmands. <laughs> so I guess, was he the first? I mean, I don't think he was the first, but certainly was um, the first extravagant. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, it, no, he definitely wasn't the, the, the first. There were the Romans in the first century BC, uh, Emperor Augustus had to pass a law, um, uh, what was called a sumptuary law, which basically limited what people could spend on money because this kind of overeating, this exotic, extravagant dining was getting out of control. So Apicius certainly isn't the first to kind of get carried away with the with his eating. Yeah. Um, but it, he he comes along at quite a interesting time when the republic is just tipping into the empire. Into the empire, you got that change from um, the Roman Empire starts to become the it's it spread across the whole of the Mediterranean. It's got a huge amount of provinces under its control. And you've got the rise of the middle classes. So you've got the uh, equestrian order, which was the second of the uh, Roman aristocratic, uh, the kind of lower echelons of the Roman aristocracy with the senators as the kind of upper echelon. The upper, yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, exactly. And that's the, the equestrians were kind of, they were like the middle classes. They were, they'd made their money through uh, being merchants and bankers and, yeah. um, and, and, I guess you still see this today as as middle classes uh, kind of rise up, they develop their own tastes and their own interests in things. Certainly. And Apicius is definitely, uh, his his cookbook is kind of pitched at that level. It's it's probably not what the emperors are eating, and it's certainly not what the kind of Roman working classes are eating, but it's what kind of the aspiring middle classes who wanted to show off how extravagant they could be by serving up a platter of, yeah. I don't know, fig fattened pig livers or uh, peacock tongues or stuffed dormice or stuff like that yeah all that um, <laughs> which kind of uh, sound like um, parts of a legend like no no nobody surely nobody would eat that but um well, exactly I think, I think yeah yeah and, and some of the more grotesque elements of roman cuisine i think there must be a bit of that about them they um well surely no one would go to that extent or sh- surely no one would 
go to that length to you know to import a thousand peacocks or a hundred thousand flamingos just Flamingo to make this dish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Apicius. Um, so yeah, tell tell me a little bit about. Um, it was a real person, apparently. So uh, yeah, it was so around he, the first century, right? AD. Yeah. So he 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 crops up in. He's one of these characters who crops up in other um, the the kind of histories of other writers quite often as a um, anecdote mm. about how awful. Um, someone was behaving or um, so he comes up he, he crops up in Suetonius uh, Pliny the Elder mentions him um, and there's a, a Seneca uh, says something about him and there's a so there's enough there's enough people that mention him that were uh, kind of maybe near contemporaries that suggest that he existed um, yeah and he's quite often attributed to um, these various larger than life stories mm. um, but then there's a couple of there's there's Equally, there's a couple of Apiciuses. So there was there's one that crops up in about the third century BC who can't be the same character, and then there's right. another one that comes up a bit later. And it's not entirely clear whether these were related. If um, the name Apicius is maybe a byword, it certainly becomes a byword for excessive consumption. Mm. Um, and whether it's but the Romans had as part of their names um, their third the third part of the name was often a kind of honorific title. Yes. So it could be that Apicius is. You know, if someone is getting the name Apicius, maybe it means they are a famous gourmet. But yeah. we we tend to associate the the Apicius as um, a guy called Marcus Gaius Apicius, who, who lived in the so he's around thirty one BC to about thirty five AD. Mm. He lives so in that period where, like I said, the Emperor Augustus, the Emperor Tiberius, uh, Rome's just becoming a empire from republic yeah and things change yeah, a little yes, bit yeah exactly. and and so it's quite a quite a period of change it's it's a time where people can make could make quite a lot of money and it's presumed that he was probably one of these people who who made quite a bit of money um the two things we know about him not to say for sure but the, the two stories associated with him are the one about his death uh, which i mentioned already and then the one about there's one about um uh, how he was in uh, possibly his home city of Minturni, which is uh, down towards Naples, towards modern-day Naples. Yeah, and he was feasting on prawns, and someone told him that there was even better prawns um, could be found off the coast of North Africa. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Tell me about this story. Yeah, I love this story. So he hustled down to the quayside. He commandeered a boat. Probably spent vast, vast amounts of money commandeering a boat and sailed to North Africa, which is probably a at this time a ten or twelve day journey and quite mm. dangerous seas and then he got there harangued some local fishermen who brought them who probably uh, brought him local prawns and he yeah. realised that actually the prawns from back home were far better and he ordered his <laughs> captain to turn around and sail home again and it's one of these probably apocryphal stories but it, it's, it was used by a lot of the Roman writers to right. you know, to illustrate what a, what a crazy character he was yeah. and then he comes and and so he comes up in a number of these stories and then quite often in quite almost always sensationalist context so one of the things that happened in the roman markets is there were quite often auctions um so in the roman fish market so the larger fish would be put up for auction and the emperor tiberius came upon a very large mullet and put it up for auction and he wait he had a wager that either Apicius or one of Apicius's rivals would buy it. And yeah. he was he was not he wasn't right about Apicius, but Apicius's rival did buy it. 
So, so he kind of comes up in these, in the context of these stories, and then right. quite often that's it's in the context of um, kind of these scandalous stories, um, usually to do with food and overeating. But then there's a couple of a couple of times when he crops up in other scandals that aren't immediately obviously related to food. So he he gets associated with uh, Mycenas, who is uh, one of Augustus's kind of lieutenants who's this kind of another large, another larger than life character who had mm-hmm. a load of a load of the famous poets like Virgil and Horace were his um kind of students they were, they were he was their patron uh, and he used to wander around in his dressing gown and have long hair and generally be quite extravagant and and Apicius is said to be one of his um he, he had earned Mycenaeus's patronage and then the other character who he, he's quite often associated with is Sejanus who was a um for a long time, was kind of almost co-regent uh, with the emperor Tiberius. Um, yeah. He was he was quite a powerful, self-made man. Who um, ended up over scheming, and yeah. uh, his his downfall led to he he got executed. His family all got executed, and uh, Apicius comes in comes up in relation to him that um, it's possibly his Apicius's daughter was married to Sejanus. So again, mm. it's, again, we're not entirely sure this is how much of this is true and how much of this is supposition, but he's certainly in the first century at, at the centre of quite a, a rich series of noble uh, noble contacts um, who may or may not be um, kind of involved in all these various very Roman scandals. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's not, it's not entirely sure whether it's, that's just because he's a byword for scandalous character and by, you know, we'll... The right, some of the Roman writers might think, well, if, if we just put a mention of Apicius in here, it will kind of add a bit more of a, you know, spice to this. Um, to exactly. This yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing changed really the last 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But he's just, he's just an interesting catch. And you, and you, you I, I found myself a bit like a archaeological detective. I'd sift through all sorts of sources, just trying to find a tantalising hint of whether he exists, you know, a me- I look for a mention of him here and a mention of him there. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, it's quite fascinating trying to put it together. Um, yeah, certainly. And obviously, one of the obvious sources was his cookbook, mm-hmm. which again is a fantastic collection of recipes. And it's the oldest. It's not the first cookbook, but it's certainly our oldest surviving cookbook. Exactly. It's uh, it's, it's the one that survives um, almost intact, I guess. From, yes, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And there's there's quite a lot of recipes. I think it's about a dozen recipes in that that are attributed to him. So there's um, they'll have they bear his. I decided, I don't know if this is true or not, but I decided the ones that bore his name were probably ones that originated with him. So there's like um, a Minutel, Apician a a style, for example, or right. Apician patina, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But then there's also, so this is what added the element of mystery because there's a number of recipes in there that um, are attributed to, so they'll have, there'll be a recipe that's, that bears the name of an emperor that lived long after Apician died. Mm. Which which kind of raised the question of well did he actually write this cookbook and of course the, the assumption is he probably didn't it's probably a collection of recipes that um, that were pieced together either you know long after his death or just kind of came to be by being gathered together into a single volume yeah exactly when do we speculate that this book was written the Apicius cookbook so I think it is probably from around the fourth century so fourth century fourth yeah, century yeah. AD so probably yeah. about three or four centuries after Apicius died. Exactly. Um, and then, but it's quite, it's quite hard to tell because the, the two original copies, um, mm-hmm. there's two surviving copies, one in the Vatican Library and one in uh, the Library of New York. 
right? And but these these originate there, not kind of ninth century, so quite a long time after that. I see, I see. But the use of Latin uh, in the books was vulgar Latin. Yes, so uh, yes. certainly not. Um, so yeah, it's it's vulgar Latin, which is kind of slang Latin. It's Latin that would have been used by working classes, the sort of Latin you'd expect to be used in a kitchen in ancient Rome, mm. but certainly not the sort of Latin you'd expect to be used by a kind of upper middle class. Yeah, certainly, certainly a gourmet like a business. Yeah, so not a chef, not a gourmet, not a high class, but a, a slave cook probably in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's one of the assumptions that uh, the, one of the accepted kind of truths of the cookbook is it, it wasn't written by Pisius. It was written by maybe one slave or it was from the, you know, the, it was adapted from the recipes of slaves and quite possibly from a lot of slaves over the years, almost yeah. like a collection of, you know, a collection of recipes that might be passed down from one generation of chefs to the next and slowly added to, which is why it's it's got this kind of almost patchwork, patchwork feel of, you know, here's some recipes attributed to this person. Here's some recipes in the style of this person. And then we just I put his yeah. name on the front. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. You put the name in the front and probably will sell better. <laughs> well, exactly. Or, Especially, if, you know, yeah. if, you're a, if you're a Roman, uh, you'll have heard of, I mean, the name Apician. Exactly. Apician was, like I said, was a byword for, for kind of gourmandry for a long time. So, yeah, absolutely. It's like... Yeah. We don't use that term uh, anymore, sadly. I think we use a lot of Epicurean or Luculean, I guess. Yeah, it's full enough. I think it lasts till maybe the end of the kind of late antiquity, I think. Mm. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it would have been comparable to Epicurean, which we, of course, still use today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yes, man. Uh, so many things uh, about the pieces. Um, so... have, you tried to cook, have you tried to cook any of his dishes? Oh, yeah, for, for sure. I think a number of them are in the classical cookbook, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The classical cookbook... Um, offers a lot of recipes from the book of Apicius. So I've tried quite a few of them. Um, not Obviously, I've tried them with um, success, let's say. Yeah, not, <laughs> not initially, but yeah, slowly after a few times and stuff. Yeah, definitely all of them, they were successful, I think. Which ones um, have you enjoyed? Okay, so... Dun, 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 dun. I've done the recipes for the sausages. So there is a um, smoked sausages, Lucanicae. Mm-hmm. And another, yeah, and um, the white sausages. So I've done them both. Um, and yeah, they're really tasty recipes, really good. Um, was it the Parthian chicken as well by Apicius? Yeah, Parthian chicken is it's in there. There's another thing that um, I started doing um, ancient uh, Greek and Roman dinners mm-hmm. about five years ago, uh, like a pop-up restaurant type of thing okay and uh, yeah so i started doing like you know starter main desserts and so on so one of the starters i made uh was was with cucumber dressing which was uh, oh yeah i've made that yeah so, so my take was like okay we have um the greek rusk the barley bread from antiquity we know that so i, I took the barley bread the dried barley bread and i used it with um, the cucumber dressing and so, yeah, it soaks all the juices with li- the liquamen and the orgarum with the mint. I, f- I found wild mint from the mountains. I got that, you know, the original mint, blah, 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 you know, wine, vinegar, and so on. So it soaks. The barley rusk becomes uh, nice and moist. You have the marinated, almost pickled kind of thing, cucumber. And then on top, I put soft um, uh, goat's cheese, uh, mm-hmm. like fresh goat's cheese. 
So it, it's kind of like a, a modern take on the, um, on the Cretan Dacos, which is with tomato and uh, fresh cheese, or let's say something like bruschetta, like modern day Italian bruschetta, but with cucumber and cheese. Um, so yeah, that was really successful, really popular dish. That sounds great. Um, and I guess it's one of the, that kind of speaks to the collection of recipes, I suppose, because they are so multicultural in a, in a sense. They're, they're, they're clearly taken, uh, they're yeah. clearly drawing on ingredients and it, recipes from around the Mediterranean and, and beyond. And I think that's, yeah, that sounds very in the spirit of it. Yeah, exactly. Then um, I've tried a few times a salad, uh, Catabia, the chicken salad, oh, okay. which is a bit more complicated to serve it at... Um, 30 or 40 guests so that's kind of uh, um, did you make uh, it authentically did you use the um the brains the, the lamb's brains i was gonna say the brains and the livers and the sweetbreads isn't there uh, sweetbreads yeah sweetbreads yeah, um, uh, yeah sweetbreads well i love sweetbreads so when i do it for myself i use i use that so no problem there uh but no when i served it um in um restaurants <laughs> it was uh, without the sweetbreads and the brains. Yeah, when I, when I cooked it, I was, I, I, like I said, I, am, I, I can be squeamish when it comes to offal. And most of the time I, I applied an offal filter to Apicius's recipe. I tend right. to take out the, the offal. <laughs> and of course, um, almost in every, in every event that I did, we served spiced wine because it's been going on through the ages, actually. The, throughout the home of Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire, they served spiced wine, conditum paradoxum. Uh, so I used to make it for any kind of themed night, you know, Roman or Byzantine and so on. So yeah, that was like the aperitif when the guests were coming to the dinner, spiced wine. And it, it works really well with having tasty honey and... Uh, Mastic resin, um, which I can find because I can go to the local delicatessen shops, uh, the Greek ones around London, and I can get mastic from Kios, and you have nice honey and this and that, bay leaves and black pepper, da da da. And yeah, it's um, beautiful. <laughs> I think it's a very nice aperitif and cocktail, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I met. Mm. I, it was the last thing I cooked actually, and it's. I mean, it's his first, the first recipe that appears in Apicius. So I think it's quite appropriate as the first thing. Mm. And uh, did you, obviously you you had the book, the book of Apicius, right? The cookery book. Did you cook um, extensively all, almost all the recipes? Or are, are there too many? I don't... I, there, I are never... too ma- there are too many. The most recent translation is, I think it's yeah, 400 pages. Oh, wow, okay. Wow, okay, okay. There's, okay. There's, there are. I probably did count them. I'll Maybe I'll tell you afterwards how many there were. Um, <laughs> But there are, I think there's well over, a, there's a few hundred, I think, recipes in there. So okay. it's certainly that's, too much. To, that's too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I tended to focus, I kind of, I needed a, a method in terms mm. of how to, so partly I, I'd use, because I was trying to tell his story as well, I'd um, I'd find recipes that seemed to fit parts of his story. So the spiced, spiced wine surprise that you just mentioned, um, I thought fitted with the end, kind of at the, the end of his life. Yeah. There's a, there's a, quite a sentimental recipe in fact it's the only recipe that has what might be described as kind of a you know in the same way that a modern cookbook might have a bit of a kind of description to start with which maybe adds a bit of uh, an emotion or empathy or kind of explanation as to why it's being cooked the only recipe that really does that is is one for 
bulbs. Um, which talks about um, serving them um, if you're if you're seeking the harbour of Venus, which makes me kind of think it was uh. it was done possibly for uh, it was possibly he, uh, a recipe associated with, associated with marriage or courtship or, or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was. I mean, the way you describe the recipe on your thesis, it was quite um, intriguing, basically. Um, so you, you cooked it and um, there was something missing and then you put it in the oven and roasted. Yeah. And then it all came together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I used shallots, I think it was, because, it, again, it's I mean, uh, one of the things you'll quickly realise if you if you go to the original recipes of Apicius, um is they're very vague. I'm sure you found this. There's, yeah. There's certainly no no measurements and no cooking times and quite often not really a, a full ingredients list. So, for example, the recipe for bulbs, I mean, it's just called bulbs, but it says boil the bulbs and it doesn't say what sort of bulb. Um, right. I, I kind of assumed uh, the, Romans, the Romans ate quite a lot of different edible bulbs, like edible hyacinth bulbs and that sort of thing. Ah. But for a lot of the times, a lot of... I think you, you're probably a bit more dedicated than I am, but a lot of the times um, I was either pressed for time or uh, or circumstance in Norwich, I guess, and um, I'd have to make do. So part of the fun was trying to work out how, in what way to, which which corners to cut, which substitutes <laughs> to make. So I ended up, I think I used shallots in the end uh, for that one. But it was it was this very tasty recipe in the end. It, it's kind of uh, involved boiling these shallots up with all sorts of different, uh, honey and vinegar and mm. obviously garum and um spices but yeah. it came across, it came out as this kind of quite gloopy mess and then I, yeah as you said i put it in the i think i was roasting i was making one of the roast pork dinners as well uh, dishes at the same time and i put it in it's i just put it in the oven and it it kind of came together and i i kind of wonder if that's almost how the cookbook was meant to be used it was kind of like a list of suggestions and guidances to from like one expert to another so if you were a a Roman chef or a Roman cook with this cookbook, you'd you'd obviously fill in the gaps yourself, or you'd go, well, of course this needs to go in the oven, or of course this I'll use these shallots instead of these hyacinth bulbs. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think that sounds um, plausible. And somewhere here, we'll end part one for today. Join us again tomorrow for the second and final part of our episode about Apicius. Remember. If you want exclusive content, the podcast episodes earlier and ad-free, join me on Patreon under the Delicious Legacy name. Here, for just $3 per month, you can have all the above. This way, you'll help me create the episodes faster, release them quicker, and concentrate more on researching other interesting subjects from the ancient world. Additionally, you will get straight to your inbox lots of exclusive material, such as recipes, images and other tailor-made content. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.
planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.